Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hi, my name is Shay, and I am a covenant member here at The Well, and I'm part of the Slaughter CG. I'm going to be reading from Amos 8, verses 9 through 14 today. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, family, how are we? Good, good. Um, I know you're like, wait, we're not having a video today? Uh, but nobody wanted to do a spoken word about politics. So uh, I'm going to have Frank come up and do a freestyle for us. Frank, where'd you go? I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, I would also uh, like to let y'all know that uh, in the first gathering this uh, past week, in case you were here in the first gathering, probably one of my favorite preaching moments ever uh, happened uh, in that gathering. Uh, in the middle of my gospel point, uh, somebody stood up and they threw a peppermint at me. Um, now, if you grew up in black and brown church, you know that that means I was preaching, preaching, right? Like, it was really good. If you grew up in white church, I know that, like, getting really excited is, like, riding, like, 3x speed, okay? And so uh, I just want you to know that uh, you don't have to throw anything if you would not like, but uh, you can participate by going, mm, every once in a while, even publicly, okay? Uh, it, it will cut the sermon down by three minutes, I'm telling you, all right? Um, hey, so today we're talking about our uncle's favorite topic, politics. Um, and I want to do today what, uh, man, the world feels is impossible. Things like love our neighbor, things like have unity. Uh, if we can actually do those things, then the witness that this can be can really change uh, generations, family. It can change the landscape of our nation and even the church in our nation. So we have a bunch of work to do today. Even if you do go, mm, it's still going to be long today. All right, so let's dive right in. Amos chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Um, and upon initially looking at this passage that Shay just read for us, uh, you may look at it and go, wait, what does this have to do with politics? Uh, and that's a great question. 
Nothing is the answer, okay? Uh, Nothing directly, I'll say. Uh, However, the heart that's being expressed here, mixed with the background that is in Israel at this time, uh, I believe the exact same dilemma uh, that we have before us today regarding this idea of politics is baked right into this text. And so uh, Amos's message to this idolizing community, I think is just as important to our political idol-consuming American community as well. And so Amos starts this section with this extreme judgment. It's the reversal of creation, the the mourning like Egypt in Exodus for only sons since Israel has now turned into Egypt in their oppression. It's all of this chaos that's happening, and this is all the threatening judgment of the Lord. So why? Why God's judgment here? Well, I want to work the passage backward a little bit because it answers that question for us. It's because of Israel's idolatry. Uh, Dan is in the very northern part of Israel and Beersheba is in the very southern part. And so it is a, a way of saying the entire land has fallen into this idolatry. Samaria was actually the capital, which was kind of baked in the center. And so the entire land is idolatrous. Uh, swearing by the name of a God was very common in that culture. It was a way that you invoked that God's power over situations, that God's power over relationships. And I don't know if it was like this for y'all, but in the hood, we did the exact same thing. Be like, man, I swear to God, man, right? Which uh, could mean one of two things. It could mean like, hey, like I really promise, like I swear to God, or like, bro, I swear to God, which means you, we finna fight and I'm gonna win. That's what that phrase means, okay? Uh, Israel is doing something really similar here. They're like, hey, I swear to God that what this is, is true. Uh, You'll notice, though, that there are three separate words here for God. There's the word guilt, which is capitalized. There's the word God, and there's the word the way. You see, here's the interesting thing in this text. Is that throughout Amos's letter, Amos has been pretty clear that they think often that they are worshiping God when in reality they're worshiping money or they're worshiping uh, God, but not in the way that God commands or they're very apathetic in their faith. And so they're calling on God's name with their mouth, but completely unsubmitted to God in their hearts. They're not really worshiping God just because they're saying God's name. And that's what Amos is getting at here. And so they may actually think that they're worshiping Yahweh God, but they are not. They're worshiping false gods. There are altars that are set up to Yahweh, but in reality at those altars, they are sacrificing to other gods, even doing it in the name of Yahweh God. Now for Israel, the reason that they were doing all of this false worship was financial gain, which you can actually see in verses four through six in this chapter. And so they utilized these false gods to help them with their financial gain and to keep them in power as a nation. But the same is often true with us. And here's where I wanna begin to apply this idea into this idea of politics. I believe that many... Christians in America believe that they are worshiping the lion of Judah when in reality they're worshiping the elephant of America. They are believing that they're worshiping the lamb that rode in on a donkey, but they're really worshiping a democratic donkey who is not carrying Jesus or justice, but carrying agendas, power, and positions. The, the common refrain that we've had throughout this entire series is, are you sure that we're not more like Israel than we would like to think? 
Are you sure that we're not falling into this trap as well? One of the main messages throughout Amos is that serving other gods above Yahweh or not serving God in the way that God commands will always lead to injustice because those gods do not rule with the same justice and mercy as our God does. Those gods rule with an overextension of justice, forsaking mercy or cheap mercy and not really justice, or they cannot balance the tension between justice and mercy and bringing good to all people. Many Christians do the same. They often find salvation through the means of politics, as if the God of politics can truly fix the injustice of the world or bring about the good that you and I desire to see in the world. There's a trap that this world, I believe, is trying to yank the church into, and politicians and agendas try to get us to think that we are on the same team as them. We're not. We are not on the same team. But then in the name of Jesus Christ, we end up forsaking our allegiance to Jesus Christ to join said team. Though that team is not on team Jesus. So we become like Israel, thinking that we're offering offerings on altars set up to God, when in reality, all we're doing is sacrificing to the guilt of America, to the guilt of Samaria, furthering our corruption. Put another way, Are you sure that you're really following and worshiping the God of the Bible or are you just serving the gods of America? Are you more biblical or are you more Israel? Now here's what makes some of this tricky is that there are some similarities and some overlaps between the two. Politicians do desire certain forms of justice. There is a desire to see good brought about to its citizens. There are things that the church and people in political sphere care about, things like immigrants or the unborn or those in poverty. But often what happens in politics is that there is a misbalance between justice and mercy. And so right in the policy of one of the things that we care about are baked directly into that these unbiblical things that we would say that we totally forsake as the people of God. And so in all of a sudden aligning ourselves fully with politics or policies, we end up mistakenly worshiping the gods of the nations just like Israel was doing, and that's called syncretism, where you believe that you can so marry God with something that is not God that somehow you think you're worshiping God and you're offering all of these offerings on altars that are set up to God, but God doesn't accept those offerings because you're not doing it his way. Both parties on both sides will tell us that we must embrace everything that their party embraces. And in the process, we end up worshiping the God of Dan instead of the God of David or the God of Daniel or the God of Deborah. We worship the God of Samaria rather than the deliverer or the defender or the day star or the divine God of the universe. British ethicist James Mumford, he calls this thinking package deal ethics, which you've probably heard that phrase by now. Increasingly, political parties insist that you cannot work on one issue with them if you do not embrace all of their approved positions. This just isn't true, y'all. Uh, You do not have to buy everything wholesale that is not the kingdom of God. They may focus on one piece of the kingdom of God, 
but God demands that the church of God infiltrate every single thing in our society, that we enter into every single portion of it, and neither side does this fully. When our God is against something that a political party is for, then we must not submit to those other false gods, thinking that because we're worshiping gods at false temples, that somehow God will accept this sacrifice. He won't. We have to see it as false worship. If we are to honor God the way that he deserves and bring justice in the way that our God desires, just because something is directed at Jesus does not mean that Jesus receives it, family. So when you hear a political uh, uh, party, when you hear a political person, a politician saying the name of Jesus, but their lives reflect the ways of Satan, then recognize that the Lord they're proclaiming may not be the Lord that you and I just sang songs of worship to. Where are the men sat? <laughs> now listen, upon hearing this, you may be like, oh, I totally agree with you, Right? And you may think, whew, good, okay, this, does not, uh, this doesn't involve me then, right? Because I don't mess around with politics. Uh, they're all snakes. Um, I hate to cut it to you, but do you remember last week where we said that the sin of omission can be just as dangerous as the sin of commission? And so backing out of it and doing nothing about it can be just as, if not at times, even more harmful than entering right into it. Politics impacts people. So we should care about it. The laws that are introduced and the way that justice is handled in our land, it matters greatly. Look at my ancestors for the past several generations where laws have totally created all of this hardship. The way that we enact our laws and policies, they actually impact people and they matter, y'all. So think about it like this maybe. If every single solid Christian uh, says, you know what, there's demonic stuff in both parties, so I'm just not going to get involved. And then everyone bails out. Well, then who's left? Demons only, <laughs> right? Uh, so apathy and distance can't really be the answer either. Um, I think that there are kind of three groups of people when we think about politics. Uh, and I wanna quickly address each of these groups. And then I wanna give us some ideas about how I think a Christian should and could faithfully engage in politics. And then I won't tell you explicitly who I am voting for, but I will tell you how I think you should think about voting in the end and how it should impact your life and how it should impact the way that you move and think and act. Um, and then I'll tell you who Jenna and Jason are voting for, okay? Um, there are three groups of people, okay? Uh, and I want you to identify yourself so that we can address it. I want you to literally try to place yourself inside of one of these three groups. Uh, there are kingdom-minded citizens. Uh, these are people who really wanna advance the kingdom of God, but they're confused because everyone is saying the name of Jesus, but really they're talking about the guilt of Samaria or the God of Dan. You're trying to understand, but it's confusing and it's exhausting. Right? There are people who have succumbed to political idols, uh, and you're about to get mad in a second when I totally blaze your party. Uh, if you get mad when I call your party demonic in a second, then you can disagree with me in your head, but I do want you to at least know in your heart you're in that second bucket. And I'm not saying that to throw shade at you kind of randomly or throw hate by saying this. I would contend with you that that second bucket is really dangerous to your soul and to the church. And I love you and I want you out of it. And I want you to realize where you may be in it. 
Uh, the third group is apathetic. You don't really care about politics at all, and you kind of hope this sermon is already halfway done. Uh, perhaps if you're in that group, you're failing to see how this really does impact people. I want you to place yourself because scripture really does speak on all three of these things. And I also want you to realize that maybe you're like 60% kingdom minded, but like 20% apathetic and like 20% idolatrous. Like maybe there are parts of you that can be smoothed out by the scriptures of God even today. So we probably don't fall 100% in either in any of these, like recognize where maybe God is wanting to bring about some sanctification, some good today. Uh, let's touch on the apathetic side first. I wanna work this backwards since I think a lot of us, honestly, out of exhaustion of all the political antics, we probably fall into this camp. Uh, we get the word politics from uh, the Greek word uh, politika, which just means how to run the affairs of the city. It's how to execute justice. The word literally means the affairs of the people. Um, because our gospel involves people, and because our Lord calls us to love our neighbor, and because policies and lawmakers and judges impact people, then it's hard not to at least have a heart towards politics. Now listen, we've been saying this throughout this entire series. You can have a heart for something, but also not have your hands fully involved in something. In fact, there is an impossibility for any of us to truly execute all forms of justice because there's just too much injustice in the world and none of us are Christ. So you cannot care for the unborn and fix poverty and fix immigration and fix policies and fix education and fix racism. And there's too much going on here, but you can have a heart for each of these issues. And I believe in politics, understanding like how our vote works and, and things like that is a way that is a very low bar that we can participate while maybe even executing justice in a totally different realm. And so what does the scripture say? How do we uh, uh, sort of overdo this apathy? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think, is a really, really good place where Paul kind of gives instruction here. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is talking to a local church pastor, Timothy. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So I believe one action that we can take is we should at least pray. Like we actually believe that God answers our prayers and hears them and maybe responds to them, right? Like prayer is a way that we can not move in apathy, but even allow our hearts to begin to align towards God. Paul says that this is one of the ways that impacts gospel and witness expansion more than we might realize politics is one of the ways that God does that. So although American politics are exhausting, apathy is not a viable option. I mean, the Bible in and of itself is a deeply political book, isn't it? Like you have kings and laws, policies, and wars, governments, and officials. In fact, even Jesus himself is a king, right? Um, think about how God used politics even in the scriptures. Um, think about if you're familiar, stories like the story of Queen Esther. Uh, Esther was unjustly taken from her land and then appointed into a position of queen of the king. 
Now this could have allowed her to create bitterness, but she began to, through the encouragement of her uncle Mordecai, realize maybe God was placing her in this position to actually make a difference and to help the Jewish people. Well, lo and behold, Haman, who is a representation of Satan, is going to annihilate all of the Jews. And do you know what happens if all of the Jews get annihilated? Well, the promise of Abraham that a seed is going to come that will deliver us from sin and enter us into relationship with God cannot happen. And so Esther goes and she begins politicking with the king to create other laws that would then allow the Jewish people to get saved. You see, the word God isn't even mentioned in the book of Esther, and yet she threw a political banquet and saved the Jews from being slaughtered by enforcing political law, and God used this to her advantage and to advance the kingdom of God. In fact, it's really well documented that Christians, they, they used Roman roads, which were used by Romans. They were heavily taxed to allow them to advance their trade, especially the slave trade. What's interesting is that Christians realize, you know what these roads also can advance? The acceleration of the gospel. And so the very roads that were used to perpetuate sin in the world, Christians came in and began to use those roads to more quickly advance the gospel message. And by the end of the first generation after the death of Jesus, it is estimated that 10% of the known world was professing belief in Jesus using what the government meant for evil for good. Like, like what if God wants to interact a little bit more than what we may think? Even the theology of First Timothy there, Paul says, pray for what? Peace. Why does Paul say that? Well, I think Paul realizes that when peace happens in a land, what can happen is gospel expansion at unbelievable, like warped speed. In fact, if you look at verse four, it says God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So pray that there be peace so that the gospel could advance. How do we know this is, how do we know this will work? Well, we are as a nation evidence of that. In the past 100 years in America, we have sent more missionaries than all of the nations of the world for the 1900 years leading up to 1900. Why have we been able to send at such a great speed? It's because there's peace. There's not as much war. There's not as much conflict. We are able to go out with much more fervor without really being concerned. So literally we can take the gospel to the nations more quickly. And Paul realizes that if there's peace, then you're able to do that. Do you see how maybe politics and policy, it even impacts the kingdom more than we would like to think. Now, look, that peace comes with a cost because peace has also created apathy. And we know that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. And so we're not afraid of persecution. At the same time though, God can use it to advance the gospel. So it seems like God operates in human structures to bring about divine beauty and gospel uh, expansion. So to not care at all or to totally check out, it might just be omitting some of your Christian responsibility. It might be omitting some of the things that you can do to advance the gospel. It seems like the scripture is calling us to be thoughtful in how we interact with the government. But how should we act? How should we think? What is it that's guiding? How do we know what's good and what's not good in the midst of politics? Well, go back to Amos 8 for a second. In Amos chapter 8, there is a time where they no longer have the word of God. 
There's no voice of God and there is no word of God. And so how in the world do they know what God wants? They don't, right? They just have their own human wisdom now that they're beginning to lean on and that they're having to think for themselves what they think is good rather than realize how God might be orchestrating things. And this is where I believe the problem for group two comes in. Those who wrestle with political idolatry, Uh, Often we fall into the trap of idolatry because I believe that we want uh, politicians to do what God demanded the church of God to do. Things like loving the poor, caring for the orphan, uh, uh, bringing shalom on earth. That's on us, y'all. Yes, politicians and policies should be reflecting the kingdom of God, but we cannot punt our responsibility to politicians who often don't even know or love Christ. The church of God needs to respond. Further though, if we do not know what the scriptures say, or if we're confused about theological issues or confused about justice issues, then how can we bring about the kingdom in our churches or vote for politicians or policies that advance the kingdom that Christ calls good if we don't know what Jesus is saying? If we don't uh, have a feasting of the word of God, then how can we move forth the way that God wants? Family, can I sober us for a second? We are living in Amos chapter eight right now as a nation, and it's getting worse and worse. We have a famine of God's word, and people are looking to the political left or the political right or some random social media influencer who probably is in the word once every other week, but is using it so that you click like and they can get more money from your liking of their religious text. And we begin to listen to them to tell us what we think the word of God should say rather than receiving the word of God ourselves. Family, uh, 19% of Americans are engaged with scripture on a weekly basis. Weekly. One time per week. That's what we're all doing right now. We're engaging with the word of God. So that means at church, having a devotional time, like doing something ourselves. 19% are engaged on a weekly basis. 61% of white evangelicals have watched Fox News in the last 24 hours. 58% of black Christians have watched CNN or ABC in the last 24 hours. Famine. Famine of the word of God. How do we know what God wants if we don't even know what God says? If we're being discipled more by news anchors who do not love or know God, then how can we respond the way that God wants, family? Like, listen, this reminds me of 2 Corinthians. Paul is saying the identical sort of thing into the Corinthian church. He's writing to the church, y'all. These are people who are professing faith in Christ. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 11, beginning in verse three. Paul says, uh, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a severe or sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Politicians and parties come in preaching different Jesuses and giving different alternatives and painting for us different visions of the kingdom of God and we just be accepting it, y'all. 
Like people are telling us that Jesus supports this or, or Christianity does that. And we're like, yeah, 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 that, that, that is true. Don't be so easily persuaded from people who only want something from you like your vote. Like as to what biblical Christianity is or isn't, as to what the kingdom of God should or shouldn't look like. Do you know what justice is? Do you know what God cares about? Do you know God's heart for humanity? Or are you saying we worship God, but in reality we're worshiping the God of Dan, the God of America, that God that can't save you. That God that cannot deliver you, it cannot bring justice in the way that you think or desire. And then what happens is political spheres will dupe you into thinking that you're ungodly if you do not uh, side with their side. So they start marketing your conscience for a vote. And they're marketing your conviction for their power. Right Now all of a sudden, you become willing to fight another Christian and to divide unity over a political candidate that you've never even met. All of a sudden, families get divided and people get divided over politicians who you know nothing about. And what happens is, is you start spurning, spurning the blood of Jesus who bled and died that he might unify the church of Christ for some politics, y'all. All of a sudden, the unity that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, we so easily throw away for a policy that if we're honest, we don't even really care that much about. We would just rather be right than godly. We would just rather have right with our family, uh, be right and empower than actually submit and to serve one another. Oh man, but, but Tori, don't you see like if this other side wins, then, then what they'll do is they'll come in and, and what? Somehow usurp God off of his eternal throne, right? Yes, y'all, we take responsibility. And yes, at times we even act when we see ungodliness, but don't start freaking out because God isn't planning to give any of his power to some random human governor. So do not divide with an image bearer that Jesus bled his blood to unify you and them. Do not divide in those sorts of ways. Listen, let me be really direct here. Um, if you share with people more why they should vote Republican, more than you share with them why they should trust Jesus, that's idolatry. You are in this camp. Uh, out of the overflow of the heart, then the mouth does speak. It is proving what your heart is worshiping. If your mouth is telling you that your heart is worshiping a false God because you're more quick to share on your Instagram some random democratic thinking more than you're quick to share an invitation into the community of faith, then maybe there's idolatry more than we would like to admit, family. So you have to pray, but then I believe you have to begin to discern. Where is your heart at? And what are these people really saying? Are they really advancing the kingdom of God or are they actually advancing the kingdom of Satan? Because God seeks to unify and Satan seeks to create confusion and disunify. What's happening in the midst of the churches? We need to discern, be wise. Very few people are saying things that look or sound anything like Jesus, y'all. Right? The hate that is spewed does not sound like Jesus. Shoot, like even God, he tried to establish Israel, bring about good order. You see how long that lasted? 
like one generation, and then it all began to unravel. So if you think that voting for your favorite Christian is the best way to do this, how long did that last in the Bible? One generation, right? So, man, there must be something different, something better, something more. And I believe that there is. There's a different way of thinking about all of this. I want you to go to Joshua chapter five. If you have your physical Bibles, I'll throw it on the screen in a minute. In this context though, Joshua is about to go bring the Israelites into the promised land. This is Israel, right? God's chosen nation. God was going to use Israel, establish them as a nation so all the other nations can see the worship of God so that they can convert to the God of Israel and begin to love him and follow him. If there's anybody that is God's chosen people, it is this nation right here. And right before Joshua goes in to begin to fight these battles, he meets this man in the night, right before he goes to his first battle in Jericho. It says this, beginning in chapter five. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. God is for neither. If you really think that God is for one side or the other, if you think the right answer is voting red or go blue, then you're missing it, y'all. God is for neither. This is Israel, right? If there's anybody that God is for, it is this nation right here. So if we think that some random political party in 21st century America, somehow all of a sudden, God has changed the way that he is acting and is for one side or another, God is for neither. Do you think that either side is a representation of the kingdom of God? If so, I don't wanna go to your kingdom. It does not look like the kingdom that I see in the scriptures. Neither side upholds biblical values or principles or commands or the character of God. Who are you for? No, is the right answer. Jesus says to Joshua, I'm not for you, you're for me. Take off your shoes because you're looking at God. Right? So after you trust God and after you discern and after you pray and after you, what I believe you do next as an American Christian is that you pick no sides, family, just like Jesus did here. You realize that there's one choice and it's the kingdom of God. I'm not saying be apathetic. You could be engaged in politics. Uh, I'm not saying like vote libertarian or something. You could do that if you want, whatever. I'm not saying like, can't vote Democrat, can't vote Republican. Uh, I'm just saying that neither side is the kingdom, so let's not act like it. People keep trying to convince us that Jesus is in their camp and he keeps trying to show us that he rules the world. Let's bow down and worship to realize our King Jesus. So listen, y'all, you can be like diet Democrat or reduced fat Republican. That's about as far as you can go, okay? 
Listen, it's really interesting, okay? Um, think about the political uh, 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 culture during the time of Jesus, the political atmosphere. Everyone thought and desired the Messiah to revolutionize the world through politics. And in a sense, this makes sense because there is power that is there. But Jesus instead decided to revolutionize the world through his disciples and through his church. Today, it feels like Christians still believe that things are revolutionized in the political sphere, who God, who does not change what the scripture says, seems to still be wanting the main change to happen through his disciples and through his church. That deserved a couple more amens than that. God wants to use you, family is what we're saying here, to push back darkness in the world. And yet politicians have seemed to find a way to divide the church and they've begun to separate and create all of this disunity. And you cannot let that happen, saints. They cannot let that happen. So listen, okay, can I get really practical here for a moment? As we begin to wind toward the close. Um, Jesus invited us to think about politics in a completely different way, y'all. That's why Jesus invited a tax collector and a zealot onto the same team. Those were political enemies of the day. Zealots killed tax collectors. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's cool. You're on my team now. Come be family together. A kingdom-minded way towards politics, I believe, is actually having unity in the midst of our diversity as we seek to advance the kingdom of God together. It is the church of God that should be having greater bonds than political ideologies. If you find more in common with your Republican or Democratic friend than you do with your brother or sister in the church of Christ who maybe votes differently than you, then you're missing the point, family of God. We are blood bought together, saints. We are children of the most high God. We are brothers and sisters. That's where our unity should land. We fly no banner, but the banner of Jesus Christ. That is what we care and think about. We've been approaching politics, I believe, like, hey, who cares the most for the marginalized, right? Or, or what's the lesser of two evils? And I get it, it's because times are crazy. But what if we thought about this a little bit differently? Uh, can I give you maybe in our culture what I think is a much better gauge than like what's the lesser of two evils? I think if you begin to ask the question like, hey, how are you treating or how are you thinking about those who disagree with you? That to me is a better question that if we can answer positively can create greater impact than any really hard press voting ever can. If we begin to unify in these ways, because what's the point? if you win someone to your side politically and lose their soul spiritually. A lot of people are deconstructing because we care more about conservative America than we do about Christians in America. And we act like we don't even care. What if there's something better? What if there's something that is a better witness? What if there's something that advances the kingdom of God more in our unity? Shouldn't you, for the sake of unity, rather be wronged like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 commands the Christian saints to do? So like, look, like if you don't have a best friend, like, like y'all are twins, Right? like you love each other, that is completely different than you politically, one of my encouragements would be, maybe that's the application, is go find one. 
And watch how you're actually both trying to advance the kingdom just from a different perspective. And watch how quickly it sharpens out your political idolatry or even your political apathy and begins to move you in a kingdom-like way where you realize unity amongst brothers and sisters is more powerful than right thinking could ever be. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. What if the well turned into one of the most diverse churches politically as we seek to push back darkness in all sorts of different ways and we're all seeing it just a little bit differently, yet we became one of the most spiritually unified churches in all of our city in the midst of our diversity. Do you know what type of gospel witness that would be? And what if the church saw us as the actual change agents in the world? So we did our part to vote totally for politics and policies that that we think are the most kingdom-like way imaginable, but then we began to fight for each other rather than fight against each other. That sounds nice. That sounds like it would be a witness to the world around us. That sounds like we'd be encouraged to do good and to do justice rather than to start worshiping the God of Dan and saying we're worshiping the God of Yahweh. What if Christians actually believe That when Christ said that he is not coming to bring his kingdom on earth with himself as a king, not yet, but he's coming to bring his rule and reign through his church, like what if we acted like that was actually true? Like we are bringing the kingdom of God. We are advancing the gospel. And listen, family, Jesus did all of what I just said, didn't he? He's our great example in the midst of all of this. Jesus brought different political parties together and called them out to be the family of God. Jesus didn't expect the government to do what the church should do. Give unto Caesars what is Caesars, yes and amen. But give unto God's what is God's. And do you know what's God's? Humanity. Humans are. So we fight for these. Jesus prayed for leaders. Jesus did not pick the side of the super, super political Sadducees or the extremely religious Pharisees or the apathetic and the separatist Essenes. He was kingdom-minded and balanced in all of this and brought all this to perfection. But go back to Amos chapter eight real quick. The gods of Samaria and the gods of Dan, they're gone. You don't even know their names. And the gods of the Democrats and the Republicans 2,000 years from now, nobody will know their names. They will not remember. But do you know what will not be gone? Is the church of God and people that Christ bled and died for and loves. It's interesting in this passage, Israel's judgment for their political power and positioning, for their financial idolatry and their political idolatry, it's the reversal of creation, it's the mourning of a loss, And you know where this is going, y'all. The gospel point is all up in this. You see, Jesus, the greater king of kings, the one king who could have come down and said, I rule and reign this, the same king that made King Nebuchadnezzar crawl around on the ground and eat grass like a cow and then saved him and used him to save Israel. That same sovereign God that is in control became a slave to the Roman government and ended up living his life under oppression and ended up dying on a cross. And as people began to mourn the loss of this only son of God, and as the sky began to go black, and as above Jesus's head was nailed a sign, this is the king of the Jews, Jesus died a slave, a criminal, the lowliest of all citizens. Why? So that you and I, who should not be citizens in the kingdom of God, 
who should only be slaves for the rest of our life, even of our own sin, so that you and I, who deserve to have these gods as the only gods that will ever rule us, can now enter into the citizenship of the king of the universe. This is what Jesus died for, that you would become citizens of his kingdom. And Jesus resurrected. He didn't stay dead. And when he resurrected, all the disciples were like, is now the time you're gonna politically rule? And he said, no, now's the time that you're gonna go and bring the gospel to the nations. And that's what we are still commissioned to do today, not to try to find the kingdom through politics, but realize how politics can help the kingdom, but ultimately we are kingdom-minded only. We know where our citizenship is, and it's not in America, it is in heaven. And that's what we're fighting for, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That needs to be our desire. And now we can work to unite, to worship the right God and to honor him forever. So can I give you three like aggressively fast uh, principles, practicals, and Adam, you can come back up here. Um, One, I put a bunch of books there on the screen, okay? Um, They're all books if you want to learn more about this and you can read these, listen. Like every book, I can caveat something in each and every book. None of it is scripture, but I do think that they're really good beginners, good primers. If you care about this, if you wanna learn more about this, if you want resources for others, each of these I found helpful in different ways. They all tackle different things. So maybe read, learn more about it. Yes and amen, that is great. So that we can be kingdom citizens. That's practical number one. Practical number two, uh, when voting season comes, please, 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 y'all, please, don't be tripping, okay? Don't be tripping, y'all. Like, don't divide people that Christ is trying to unify. Please, let us be a church that looks different, that fights for each other, not against each other, that seeks to honor Christ above everything. Please, y'all, make Christ the main thing. Three, let me give you how I vote as we end. Maybe this is helpful, practical for you. Um, Over the past several elections, one, local elections matter way more than national ones, so stop tripping on that too. Um, But I've begun to go, hey, what is the most kingdom-minded way that I can think about this? Not who's putting like the right things that helps like the Church of America best, but ends up hurting the church in China because we're one church. Like, like, how can I begin to think about like, hey, this person is representation of our nation. And do you know that every other nation in the world still thinks of America as a Christian nation? So if they're representing a Christian nation, then the person in charge is representing Christianity, which is hurting the gospel witness here in the Middle East as we're trying to bring them the gospel. They're like, why would I ever wanna follow somebody like that? So I begin to think about what about the church there? What about the church here? What about policies? What about the the injustice? What about, like all of that matters. But the more that you can begin to try to think about the kingdom holistically and go, gosh, how do I do things that would best represent the kingdom? I get it, sometimes it's hard, y'all. And so sometimes I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I do know that there's a church here in Austin and churches around the nation that if we start proclaiming the gospel, then it doesn't matter what type of policies get enacted, we push back darkness with authority. And that needs to be our heart and position. So how can you be kingdom-minded? Just like money, last week, there's a way to think about it, kingdom-minded. Like what if we do the same in our politics? I pray that we would be a church with humility, 
learning, charity, compassion with love, that we would seek to fly the right banner, the banner that is bloodstained, that's name is Jesus. Let that be the banner we fly. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. Oh yeah, Jesus, um, you are beautiful. You are king. We call you king this morning. You are the king. And God, I pray for a couple of things. One, I pray anyone who entered in here today not knowing you as king. Friend, maybe you came to church today invited by a friend or, or maybe you just decided to check it out and, and you actually aren't a worshiper of Jesus as king. Maybe in fact, you've been hurt by people who are proclaiming the name of Jesus, but living anti from what you think the gospel proclaims. I wanna tell you, there's a better way. That God wants you in relationship with him. He invites you into the kingdom. He desires to be your good king. Our king will rule with benevolence, with gentleness, with compassion for all of eternity. And if we believe in him, then we enter into the citizenship of the kingdom that is to come. We say, I don't want the kings of this world. I want you, Jesus, that he becomes our God. We become his people. And we have a king that will serve us in love forever. I pray you would accept Jesus as king today. And God, I pray for each of us who has accepted you as king. God, I pray one, you would make us kingdom minded. Let us love your church more than we love being right. Let us love you more than we love this nation. Let us love the kingdom to come more than the kingdoms that are here now. Let us be kingdom citizens. And God, I pray for everyone who may have been hurt. Maybe there was a hesitancy to come to church because of some of the rhetoric that was used by the church. I pray that you would heal them right now and show them that wasn't your language, Jesus. You're a God who loves, God who cares a God who will speak truth and will speak hard things like the book of Amos, but will say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For each of us will learn how to find rest in you. Pray all this in your very beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.